Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Good morning, church. Last week, we began a two-week mini-series on marriage, looking at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is probably the most comprehensive, at least related uh, to the male gender, the most comprehensive section of Scripture related to God's plan for marriage in the Word of God that really outlines the role that we are to fulfill as husbands. If you're not a husband, you may be someday, listen carefully, and I believe this will also be a great encouragement, ladies, to you as you see and sit under the unfolding revelation of the provision that God has given for you in relationship to the role of a husband. Last week as we looked at Ephesians 5, 22, 23, and 24, we looked at a wife's submission. And let me just say this as I begin. If that text kind of put ladies on the hot seat, the text we're going to look at today for husbands, throws them right into the bonfire. So, husbands, brace yourself. I wish I had two weeks uh, to walk through this. I'm going to be gone next week, so I will not be able to uh, take two weeks. So you're going to have to wrap your lips around a fire hose and swallow fast because we're going to go through this fairly quickly. Let me just begin by reading you not just a verse from Ephesians 5, but first of all, two verses, one from the old and one from the new, and then a verse from Ephesians 5, just so I can start out and make it really clear what the call is for husbands in relationship to the way that they live with and relate to their wife. Ecclesiastes 9.9 reads, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The point I'm making here is this, the word of God is crystal clear and it is repeated so that you do not miss it. The call of God to the husband is that he is to do what, church? He is to love his wife. And so what we're going to see here in Ephesians 5, 25 to 31, is we're going to see a development of what that means, what that looks like. Let me just tell you what we will not see first. We're not going to see the husband giving a blank check of authority so that he can dictate and impose his will upon his wife. 
We are not going to see that. Here's what we are going to see. We're going to see a mantle of responsibility given to the husband for which one day he will answer to God. That's what we'll see. Now, I said that really boldly because I believe in the truth of the Word of God and that we're going to be held accountable to this, but I feel like I almost say this sheepishly. You'd understand this if you could come and stand in my shoes for a minute, guys, husbands. To stand up here and open Ephesians 5, 25 to 31 and preach about a husband's love with your bride right off your right hand. That is tough. I, I'm, I'm not making a joke. That is, it made it, it's funny, but it's tough. It is really tough. Because what I know and what she knows even better than I is that I do not live up to the call here. So this is not me trying to present a false persona that I've got this all figured out. This is a beggar telling another beggar where I found some bread. That's what it is. It is food that I need for my marriage and my leadership with my wife, men, husbands like you need for your marriage and your relationship with your wife. Regardless of who is declaring it, it is the truth that God inspired to be written and His plan for marriage. So, let me just read Ephesians 5, 25 to 31, and then we'll walk back down through it and try to unpack it and unleash it faithfully. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, as we get set to walk down through this unfolding section of truth, let me give you two key points that we need to keep in mind that really give overall structure to the text, and it is this. The principle first, and the principle is the headship of the husband. What this text, and the text last week, speaking about the wife's role in the home, and the here this week, the husband's love, the concept, the principle is the headship of the husband. 
the wife last week in verses 22 and 24 was told to submit to the husband as to the Lord. And then in verse 23, the why was given. And here's the why. Because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So the headship of the husband is the foundational principle upon which the role that the wife is to fulfill is given. And it's the same truth about the husband. The love that the husband is to give is based upon the foundation that the husband is the head of the wife. Both of those roles flow out of that principle. So keep that in mind, and I think you'll understand that as we walk through the call to husbands here. But secondly, not only the principle, but the pattern. This governs both the wife's call and the husband's call. And the pattern is this. The pattern is Jesus. The pattern is Jesus. Because here's what the wife was told to do that she was to submit to her husband, here's the quote, as to the Lord. And the husband is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. What's the centerpiece in both of those? Christ is the center. So what this is all about is the lordship of Jesus. Both the wife's submission and the husband's love, they're both related to the lordship of Jesus. So the principle of headship is the foundation and Jesus is the pattern. Jesus is the focal point and he's the model that we're to look to. So with that in view, what we're going to do as we walk through these scriptures related to the call to husbands from God is we're going to be asking the question, what did Christ's love for his bride, the church, look like because the husband is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church? So that's the model. So what we're going to see here is the characteristics of Christ's love for the church, which Husbands is to be the characteristics of your love for your wife. So let's walk through the truth now. God, would you please send it out clearly, accurately in power. First of all, the husband's love is to be a love that initiates. It's to be a love that initiates. Look at verse 25. It says, husbands love. Stop right there. Husbands love. If verse 22 and the call to the wife to submit is the most misunderstood verse in the Bible, verse 25 is the most ignored verse in the Bible. The husbands are called to love. They say, Brad, why is that an initiating love? Because the word used for love in the Greek there is agape. It's the kind of love that God has. It's the kind of love that Christ had for His church. And what kind of love did Christ have for His church? Did He love us because of what we did and because of who we are? Or did He love us in spite of what we did and in spite of who we are? It's the latter. You see, the love of Christ for us, His bride, the church, was a love that was not based upon merit. 
It was a love that was not based upon conditions. It was an unconditional love. It was a love that initiated. It was a love that loved us when we were unlovely. Husbands, you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That means that your love is to be the initiating reality in that home. That you're to love your wife regardless of whether your wife is lovely or not. Because you're to love as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? While we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for the church in that he died for us. So, the love of the husband like the love of Christ, is to be a love that initiates. So there's no loophole, husbands. Well, I'll love you if you submit to me. No, no, that is not the biblical model. The biblical model is agape. The biblical model is unconditional. The biblical model is love when she is unlovely. You initiate, you rise up, you take the step. You play the man. That's your role to initiate, to lead in that way. Secondly, a husband's love is to be singular. It's to be singular. Listen, husbands love who? Wow, we got one guy awake. Husbands, love who? Your wives. Your wives. Is that pretty clear? Let me say it again. Your wives. Principle here is quite obvious. It's your wife that you're to love, not somebody else's wife. Somebody needs to say amen to that. It's your wife that you're to love, not somebody else's wife. Let me give you a verse to back that up that might put a little rosy hue to your cheeks here this morning. Proverbs 15 Proverbs 5, 18 and 19, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Did you know that was in the Bible? I mean, did you know that? God said that. I mean, who created sexual intimacy, church? God did. God did. It was God who crafted the curves. Do you understand what I mean by that? It was God who crafted the curves. It was God who said, let your wife satisfy you in that way. Your wife. Translated. No competition. No competition. No competition in the bedroom or anyone else's bedroom. No competition in the boardroom or the marketplace 
or the coffee shop. Bedroom is physical. Boardroom is emotional. No competition on the airwaves in the realm of fantasy. No competition. No competition. Love your wives. God help us love your wives. Love your wives. Your wife is to intoxicate you, Proverbs said. She's to intoxicate you. Her love is to intoxicate you so that she meets your physical desire for sexual fulfillment. She meets your desire for emotional fulfillment through romantic companionship. And she meets your desire for mental fantasy. No competition. Number three. A husband's love is to be selfless and sacrificial. Selfless and sacrificial. Listen to verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives. Listen, as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. I see two things here. Listen to it again. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Two things. Let me show you the division. First of all, Christ loved us through His life, didn't He? He loved us through His life. That's humble sacrifice. Humble selflessness. Just think about the three years of the ministry of Jesus and what we know about that three years of ministry and how He lived His life. Was it a selfish love or a sacrificial selfless love. It was a love of humble selflessness. Let me just give you some examples of that. He left his position of glory and took off his robes of splendor to put on a Hebrew blanket. He stepped down from heaven's throne so that he could lay down in Bethlehem's manger. He who one stride could cover the heavens now had to learn to put one foot in front of the other. He who in eternity past had wielded the scepter of absolute power took up the tools of a carpenter. He who rolled out the heavens like a carpet, had to sleep under the stars that he rolled out in the night air. He who spoke and the words from his lips created a universe had to hear words from others' lips in mockery, lips that he had created. Listen, here's the point. The sovereign of the universe became the servant of man. That's how Jesus loved in living his life. It was a love of humble sacrifice. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Meaning, husbands, we are called to love our wives in humble selflessness. That means to be patient when she's not perfect. 
That means to be caring when she's careless with your feelings. That means to be kind when she's cruel and encouraging when she's discouraged. And it means to love her when she's lovely and when she is leavable. To love her anyway. So first of all, Christ's love is shown through his life, humble selflessness. Secondly, Christ's love is shown through his death, complete sacrifice. He gave himself up for the church, his bride. That is the ultimate picture of love. Number five, husbands, we are to love our wives with a purpose. We're to love our wives with a purpose. Look at verse 26. It says that we're to love as Christ loved the church. He gave Himself up for the church that He might sanctify her. Here's the reason why. Here's the Goal. Here's the purpose of the love of Christ so that He could sanctify His bride, the church. Another way to say that is He could make His bride holy. Here's what that means. It means that Christ loved us sacrificially so that He could make us all God wanted us to be. Husbands, Love your wife in such a way that it is purpose-oriented not to make her like you want her to be, but to make her like God wants her to be. That's what it means to love as Christ loved the church. His love toward the church, toward us, was to do everything He could and to give us everything we needed to encourage us and to equip us and to lift us up and to help us be significant vessels used by God for His purpose. That's a key aspect of what it means to be holy, what it means to be sanctified, and it's this, set apart, to be used as a vessel in service for the master. We are to love our wife so that she becomes a vessel fully serving to the best of her abilities and God-given capacities what God wants her to do. We're called to help that happen in her. Not to see how high we can stand on her shoulders, but to lift her up to become all that God wants her to be. That's what we'll do if we're loving her as Christ loved the church. Next, we're to love our wives with spiritual leadership. You see, to love with the purpose is the goal. And right after Paul writes that, then he gives the process by which the goal is fulfilled. And he says this, 
verse 26, that he might sanctify her. That's the purpose. Now, here's the process. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless. Do you see the process? Let's look at it for a minute. Listen to what Jesus prayed prior to his death. Think about the process that Jesus engaged to help make his bride, the church, all that God wanted the church to be. This is what he prayed in John 17, 19, talking to his father right before his crucifixion. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus, praying to the Father, says to the Father, Father, for the sake of my bride, the church, I consecrate myself so that they may be sanctified in truth. That word consecrate is the same word as sanctify. So here's the picture. Jesus said, Father, I engaged in my own sanctification so that I could come alongside my wife and work with her to help her be sanctified and become all that you wanted her to be. God, Father, I became all you wanted me to be, and then I helped my bride become all that you wanted her to be. You see, husbands, we got to own it before we can dish it out. We cannot lead farther than we've been. Our job is not to say, hey, babe, you need to go that way. No, that's not what we're to do. We're to hold out our hand and say, hey, let's go this way and you follow me and I'll blaze the trail. I'll cut the wind. I'll remove as much of the debris as I can so that we can make progress in this difficult work of walking through this life in growing sanctification. But the point is, you're living it first. You're modeling it. You're blazing a trail so that she can follow. That's the process that Christ used. And here's what the call to husbands is. Love like He did. What that means is that you are to be the spiritual leader of your home. Men, listen, listen. You cannot abdicate that role. I just want you to think about that for a moment in silence. I don't know your circumstance. Maybe you got saved later in life. Maybe you got saved after you were married and your wife lived her entire life as a believer and you look at it and say, wow, she's just leaps and bounds ahead of me. How in the world could I lead her? Listen, leadership doesn't mean you know more. Leadership means that you're initiator. You're the one that's saying, hey, let's go this way. And what God will do is He'll equip you for everything He calls you to do. He's not going to say to you, lead your wife spiritually and then leave you high and dry and stranded and no resources with which to do that. You just got to take a step. It says in James, you draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. You do what you know to do and do your best and God will do what you don't know to do. 
And God will give you the strength and the power where you're weak and where you fail. And he'll help you to fulfill the role and the mantle of responsibility that he's given you. And one day, you and I are going to answer to that role. Just mark that down. We're going to answer for that role. We're not going to be able to stand before God and say, oh, wow, I just, man, I really worked so hard at providing for my wife material things. And man, look what I gave her. I just... I gave her all of, the, all of the comforts that life could offer. I worked my fingers to the bone to do that. God's going to say, that's not what I told you to do. To do that and to shirk your responsibility of spiritual leadership is sin. Listen, it is S-I-N. It's sin. I don't mean that Having things is bad. It's not bad. But it is if they're at, it's at the expense of you investing your life to be the priest of your home. You're given that call by God. And you're given everything you need by God to walk in that calling if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's going to require your own commitment to growth. It's going to require your recognition of your own dependency and you need to be calling out to God on a regular basis, asking Him to help you do what you cannot do and God will show up and show Himself powerful and He'll help you to become the husband that leads that He wants you to be. And it's not going to be perfection. It's going to be a progress. And there's no heaping of guilt here. If you haven't done that in the past, I'm not condemning you. I'm calling you by the power of the Spirit of God. I'm saying to you, rise up and do what God is calling you to do. It might seem like a daunting task. Well, of course it is. To hear the line, love your wife as Christ loved the church, you think that's daunting to me? Oh my goodness. It's ridiculous. But God said it, and God will equip me to do it like he will to you. He's not limited. God doesn't need your abilities. He needs your availability. He's got the power, and he wants to give it to you, and he wants to teach you, and he wants to walk you even through your frailties and your weaknesses just like he does with me. And you're going to make mistakes. But as you're trying, here's what I believe will happen. Your wife will be gracious. As you're trying, as you're pursuing. I know my wife has been gracious to me. Two keys in the process of spiritual leadership. John 17, 17. Jesus said this. Again, praying to his Father about his bride, the church. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What are you going to need to be a spiritual leader? You're going to need the word of God because it's the word of God that sanctifies. It's the word of God that helps make you holy. You have to have that. 
You have to be in the Word. You have to be a student of the Word. You have to be going to the Word, recognizing, hey, this is God's plan for you. This is how God speaks to you. This is how God equips you. This is how God leads you in the right path of spiritual leadership over your wife. Right here's the manual. Right here's the instruction. It doesn't happen by osmosis. You can't put it under your pillow and keep it close to your head and it just kind of absorb through your skull. It doesn't work that way. You have to open it up. You have to get in it. I was, I'm not going to go into detail here. I'm probably going to raise a whole bunch of questions here, but I spent some time in jail. And I had, what, I had one of the gentlemen that I was shacked up with there in jail for three weeks that was uh, in the halfway house down on 9th Avenue, and he was in there for like 90 WIs, something like that, 90 WIs. Found out that I was a, (laughs) this will even shock you more, it was while I was a preacher, by the way. And so he found out I was a preacher, and he had a Bible, and he started talking about the Bible. Oh, oh, the Bible means so much to me. It's like, wow, right on. He says, I just, love, I just love to put it under my pillow at night. And I just feel like it just brings me that comfort. Never once in three weeks did I see him open his Bible. That doesn't do anything for you. Sitting on your coffee table, sitting on your shelf, sitting on your office desk, it doesn't do anything until you pull the, the sword out of the sheath right? The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, but it doesn't cut in the sheath. It has to be withdrawn. It has to be used and wielded. So you need the Word of God. Secondly, John 16, 13, Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, referring to the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. It's the Spirit of God that guides you into this. Now, what's that picture? He guides you into this. That doesn't mean He just has you open it. If He guides you into it, that means He takes the Word of God and He takes you and He puts you into the truth so that your reality is the truth, so that the truth is surrounding you, so that your life is dictated by the truth. In other words, he applies it. He works to apply it to your life so that your life lines up to it, not just in a mental ascent, oh, I know what it says, but you're walking it out, you're living it out. That's what the Spirit of God is working to do. And every one of the sons and daughters of God, he's working to use the truth to bring you into it so that your life is characterized by it. It works like this. The Spirit of God in the children of God uses the Word of God to make you like the Son of God for the glory of God. That's the process that's happening in your life. And for you to love your wife as Christ loved the church with spiritual leadership, you're going to need the Word of God and the Spirit of God to get that done. No other way you're going to do it. You're going to need some other things like the community of God's people and accountability, but primarily you need the Spirit of God and the Word of God in order to be the leader you need to be so that you can then come alongside your wife and in spiritual leadership 
cooperate with what God is doing in her life so that she becomes all that God wants her to be in part by her effort and in part by your leadership. I just consider this. Um, consider how Christ loves the church in his spiritual leadership. I just want to show you what I see as I contemplate the life of Christ in his leadership over the church. Here's what I see. It's possible that we could say, well, Jesus has a plan for the church in who he wants the church to be, or Jesus has a plan for the church, a possibility of who the church could be. But what we know from Scripture is that Jesus has a plan for the church that He will absolutely make her to be. Do you see the difference between those two? Jesus is going to make every one of his sons and daughters, all of his bride, Jesus is radically committed to making you all that he wants you to be. And what does that look like? Let me just read it again. Present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and blameless. Let me ask you a question. If that's Jesus' plan for the church and you look at the church today, is that who the church is today? A church of splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and blameless. I'm not talking spiritually. I understand the spiritual reality that when we're saved, we are seated with Christ at the right hand of God. The Father sees us as perfectly righteous as Jesus. We are holy in the eyes of God, but I'm talking about the practical expression of our life in this world. Is the church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing perfectly holy and blameless? Anybody here like that? Anybody here like that? Listen, I have spots on my wrinkles and wrinkles on my spots. My wrinkles cover up some of my spots. They're so deep and bad, right? But what Jesus does, listen, what Jesus does is he relates to me as he's going to make me, not as who I am. Do you understand that? He said to Peter, Peter, or Simon, you are Simon, but I'm going to make you Peter. You see, Jesus relates to us in view of what we're going to be and what are we going to be. The Bible says when Jesus comes back and we see him as he is, what are we going to become like? We're going to become like him. We're going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And so the way that he operates now toward us is that he operates based upon the reality of what we're going to be throughout all of eternity without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Husbands, oh, husbands, oh, Brad, what if I could relate toward my wife as she was without spot or wrinkle or any such thing but a wife of splendor without blemish? 
How powerful that would be in relationship if I could faithfully operate that way toward my wife. How that would actually do what the purpose is. Help to make her holy. You see, people in part become like you think them to be, right? You talk to your kids and you talk down to them and tell them they're worthless Man, they own that and the enemy uses that to beat them up. But you tell them that they are unique and they're precious and God has an incredible plan for them. It calls something out of them. The same thing happens with the husband's love as he relates to his wife based upon who Jesus is going to make her. We need to do that. If we're going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we're going to do that with our wives. Next, a husband's love is to be a love that cherishes. Look at verse 28, 29, and 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. We're called to cherish. And it's within the context of, look, you take care of your own body. You don't do things that intentionally hurt your body. What you do for your body, your own physical body, is you do that which nourishes and cherishes it. You need to do that to your wife. You need to nourish and cherish your wife. I mean, there is, we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, I'm sure that brings a lot of pictures to your mind about what cherishing means, but let me just give you a couple. How many men, or maybe let me say it like this, do you honor her when she's not there? Do you honor her when she's not there? Do your friends and your acquaintances know that you are intoxicated by your wife? I mean, when you talk about her, are you talking with just this vision of loveliness in your mind? Are you talking about how blessed and how lucky, how blessed by God you are to have her as your bride, knowing that she's never going to hear that conversation? I think that's what, in part, this is what this is referring to. Consider what a safeguard that would be to your marriage. Think about this. If you really acted that way around other people, you openly cherished your wife around others. Think about what that would do to the men around you. If you did that all the time and you bragged her up all the time and you really meant it from the heart, do you think those men would be making advances at your wife? They'd say, I don't have a chance. And that, that lady has got it all right there. What about the women around you? If you're talking about that like that to the women around you when you talk about your wife? Do you think they're going to be making advances at you when they think you have eyes for one and only one? 
No, they're not. It's going to be a safeguard to your marriage. And in the process, it's going to cherish your wife. We're called to cherish our wives. And then finally, lastly, I'll close with this. A husband's love is to be a love that always endures. Look at verse 31. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. One flesh. That is a bond that cannot be broken without destruction. One flesh. It is a work of God to take two and make them into one flesh. And Scripture says, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. Because when you do bring it apart, you tear it. You rip it. You destroy it. It doesn't become two individuals anymore. It becomes a broken item. It is torn asunder. You see, a husband's love is to be a love that endures all. A love that cannot be broken. A love that is joined by the divine power of God and withstands all. You see, it's different than a contract. The world looks at marriage as a contract, marriage as a human contract. But here's what marriage is in the eyes of God who designed it and gave it as a blessing. It's a divine covenant. It's not a human contract. It's a divine covenant. And here's the reality. In a contract, in a contract, nobody leaves until the terms of the contract are completed. In a covenant, nobody leaves, period. In a covenant, nobody leaves, period. Because it's a work of God. And what God has joined together, let man not tear asunder. So husbands, Brad, love your wife as Christ loved the church sacrificially living in selflessness and sacrificing whatever is needed for the benefit of the wife and do it with the purpose of coming alongside of her, leading her and helping her to become all God wants her to be and doing that through the process of spiritual leadership as the Spirit of God and the Word of God work on you to help you be who you need to be so that you can participate with her in becoming all that she needs to be and love her in such a way that it is a love that can never be broken. That's our calling. That's our called by God. That's the mantle of responsibility that we have been given. Would you stand, church? I'm going to close in a word of prayer, but I just want to invite you. If you need to be prayed for this morning, we're going to uh, have an elder over here uh, to my right. You can come and be prayed over. Husbands, if you want to be prayed for, anybody you want to be prayed for, we always want to just make that available. Let me pray, and then we'll sing a song of closing here. Father, Lord, uh, I'm so grateful that you have a plan. 
It's not an easy plan. We're broken people. We still have this carnal, um, fleshly aspect to our being that fights against the things of God. But thank you that you gave us your spirit to live in us as followers of Christ and your word to be used by the spirit to help us do what you want us to do. And so Lord, praying that we would just clearly hear and sincerely commit to carrying the mantle of responsibility to love as Christ loved and lead as Christ led. God, help us to do that. We need your help. We need your help to do that. Thank you that you're committed to helping us do what you told us to do. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.